Section nine of Revenge by Robert Barr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section nine The Bromley Gibbert Story. The room in which John Shorely edited the weekly Sponge was not luxuriously furnished, but it was comfortable. A few pictures decorated the walls mostly black-and-white drawings by artists who were so unfortunate as to be compelled to work for the sponge on the cheap magazines and papers were littered all about chiefly american in their origin for shorely had been brought up in the editorial school which teaches that it is cheaper to steal from a foreign publication than waste good money on original contributions you clipped out the story changed new york to london boston or philadelphia to manchester or liverpool and there you were shorley's theory was that the public was a fool and didn't know the difference some of the greatest journalistic successes in london proved the fact he claimed yet the sponge frequently bought stories from well-known authors and bragged greatly about it shorley's table was littered with manuscripts but the attention of the great editor was not upon them he sat in his wooden armchair with his gaze on the fire and a frown on his brow the sponge was not going well and he feared he would have to adopt some of the many prize schemes that were such a help to pure literature elsewhere or offer a thousand pounds insurance tied up in such a way that it would look lavishly generous to the constant reader yet be impossible to collect if a disaster really occurred in the midst of his meditation a clerk entered and announced mr bromley gibberts tell him i'm busy just now tell him i'm engaged said the editor while the perplexed frown deepened on his brow the clerk's conscience however was never burdened with that message for gibberts entered with a long ulster coat flapping about his heels that's all right said gibberts waving his hand at the boy who stood with open mouth appalled at the intrusion you heard what mr shorely said he's engaged therefore let no one enter get out the boy departed closing the door after him gibberts turned the key in the lock and then sat down there he said now we can talk unmolested shorely i should think you would be pestered to death by all manner of idiots who come in and interrupt you i am said the editor shortly then take my plan and lock your door communicate with the outer office through a speaking tube i see you are downhearted so i have come to cheer you up i've brought you a story my boy shorely groaned my dear gibberts he said we have now oh yes i know all about that you have matter enough on hand to run the paper for the next fifteen years if this is a comic story you are buying only serious stuff if this be tragic humor is what you need of course the up-and-down truth is that you are short of money and can't pay my price 
the sponge is failing everybody knows that why can't you speak the truth surely to me at least if you practiced an hour a day and took lessons from me for instance you would be able in a month to speak several truthful sentences one after the other the editor laughed bitterly you are complimentary he said i'm not try again surely say i'm a boorish ass well you are there you see how easy it is practice is everything now about this story will you i will not as you are not an advertiser i don't mind admitting to you that the paper is going down you see it comes to the same thing we haven't the money as you say so what's the use of talking gibberts hitched his chair closer to the editor and placed his hand on the other's knee he went on earnestly now is the time to talk surely in a little while it'll be too late you will have thrown up the sponge your great mistake is trying to ride two horses each facing a different direction it can't be done my boy make up your mind whether you're going to be a thief or an honest man that's the first step what do you mean you know what i mean go in for a paper that will be entirely stolen property or for one made up of purely original matter we have a great deal of original matter in the sponge yes and that's what i object to have it all original or have it all stolen be fish or fowl at least one hundred men a week see a stolen article in the sponge which they have read elsewhere they then believe it is all stolen and you lose them that isn't business so i want to sell you one original tale which will prove to be the most remarkable story written in england this year oh they all are said shorely wearily every story sent to me is a most remarkable story in the author's opinion look here shorely cried gibberts angrily you mustn't talk to me like that i'm no unknown author a fact of which you are very well aware i don't need to peddle my goods then why do you come here lecturing me for your own good surely my boy said gibberts calming down as rapidly as he had flared up he was a most uncertain man for your own good and if you don't take this story someone else will it will make the fortune of the paper that secures it now you read it while i wait here it is typewritten at one and three thousand words all to save your blessed eyesight Shorely took the manuscript and lit the gas, for it was getting dark. Gibbert sat down a while, but soon began to pace the room, much to Shorely's manifest annoyance. Not content with this, he picked up the poker and noisily stirred the fire. "'For heaven's sake, sit down, Gibberts, and be quiet,' cried Shorely at last. Gibbert seized the poker as if it had been a weapon and glared at the editor 
"'I won't sit down, and I will make just as much noise as I want to,' he roared. As he stood there defiantly, Shorely saw a gleam of insanity in his eyes. "'Oh, very well, then,' said Shorely, continuing to read the story. For a moment Gibbert stood grasping the poker by the middle, then he flung it with a clatter on the fender, and, sitting down, gazed moodily into the fire, without moving, until Shorely had turned the last page. "'Well,' said Gibberts, rousing from his reverie, "'what do you think of it?' "'It's a good story, Gibberts. All your stories are good,' said the editor carelessly. Gibbert started to his feet and swore. "'Do you mean to say,' he thundered, "'that you see nothing in that story different from any I or anyone else ever wrote? Hang it, Shorely, you wouldn't know a good story if you met it coming up Fleet Street. Can't you see that story is written with a man's heart's blood?' Shorely stretched out his legs and thrust his hands far down into his trousers' pockets. "'It may have been written as you say.' although I thought you called my attention a moment ago to its typewritten character. "'Don't be flippant, Shorely,' said Gibberts, relapsing again into melancholy. "'You don't like the story, then? You didn't see anything unusual in it? Purpose, force, passion, life, death, nothing? There is death enough at the end. My objection is that there is too much blood and thunder in it such a tragedy could never happen no man could go to a country house and slaughter everyone in it it's absurd gibbert sprang from his seat and began to pace the room excitedly suddenly he stopped before his friend towering over him his long ulster making him look taller than he really was did i ever tell you the tragedy of my life how the property that would have kept me from want has of course you have gibberts sit down you've told it to everybody to me several times how my cousin cheated me out of certainly out of land and the woman you loved oh i told you that did i said gibberts apparently abashed at the other's familiarity with the circumstances he sat down and rested his head in his hands. There was a long silence between the two, which was finally broken by Gibberts saying, "'So you don't care about the story?' "'Oh, I don't say that. I can see it as the story of your own life, with an imaginary and sanguinary ending.' "'Oh, you saw that, did you?' "'Yes. How much do you want for it?' fifty pounds what fifty pounds i tell you are you deaf and i want the money now bless your innocent heart i can buy a longer story than that from the greatest author living for less than fifty pounds gibberts you're crazy gibberts looked up suddenly and inquiringly as if that thought had never occurred to him before he seemed rather taken with the idea. It would explain many things which had puzzled both himself and his friends. 
he meditated upon the matter for a few moments but at last shook his head no surely he said with a sigh i'm not insane though goodness knows i've had enough to drive me mad i don't seem to have the luck of some people i haven't the talent for going crazy but to return to the story you think fifty pounds too much for it it will make the fortune of the paper that publishes it let me see i had it a moment ago but the point has escaped my memory what was it you objected to as unnatural the tragedy there is too much wholesome murder at the end ah now i have it now i recollect gibberts began energetically to pace the room again smiting his hands together his face was in a glow of excitement yes i have it now the tragedy granting a murder like that one man a dead shot killing all the people in a country house imagine it actually taking place wouldn't all england ring with it naturally of course it would now you listen to me i'm going to commit that so-called crime one week after you publish the story i'm going down to that country house channer chase it is my house if there was justice and right in england and i'm going to slaughter everyone in it i will leave a letter saying the story in the sponge is the true story of what led to the tragedy your paper in a week will be the most talked-of journal in england in the world it will leap instantaneously into a circulation such as no weekly on earth ever before attained look here surely that story is worth fifty thousand pounds rather than fifty pounds and if you don't buy it at once someone else will now what do you say i say you are joking or else as i said just now you are as mad as a hatter admitting i am mad will you take the story no but i'll prevent you committing the crime how by giving you in charge by informing on you you can't do it until such a crime is committed no one would believe it could be committed you have no witnesses to our conversation here and i will deny every assertion you make my word at present is as good as yours all you can do is ruin your chance of fortune which knocks at every man's door when i came in you were wondering what you could do to put the sponge on its feet i saw it in your attitude now what do you say i'll give you twenty-five pounds for the story on its own merits although it is a big price and you need not commit the crime done that is the sum i wanted but i knew if i asked it you would offer me twelve pounds ten shillings will you publish it within the month yes very well write out the check don't cross it i've no bank account when the check was handed to him gibberts thrusted it into the ticket pocket of his ulster turned abruptly and unlocked the door good-bye 
he said. As he disappeared, Shorely noticed how long his ulster was, and how it flapped about his heels. The next time he saw the novelist was under circumstances that could never be effaced from his memory. The sponge was a sixteen-page paper with a blue cover, and the week Gibbert's story appeared, it occupied the first seven pages. As Shorely ran it over in the paper, it impressed him more than it had done in manuscript. A story always seems more convincing in type. Shorely met several men at the club who spoke highly of the story, and at last he began to believe it was a good one himself. Johnson was particularly enthusiastic, and everyone in the club knew Johnson's opinion was infallible. "'How did you come to get hold of it?' he said to Shorely, with unnecessary emphasis on the personal pronoun. "'Don't you think I know a good story when I see it?' asked the editor indignantly. "'It isn't the general belief of the club,' replied Johnson airily. "'But then all the members have sent you contributions, so perhaps that accounts for it. "'By the way, have you seen Gibberts lately?' "'No. Why do you ask?' "'Well, it strikes me he is acting rather queerly. "'If you asked me, I don't think he is quite sane. "'He has something on his mind.' "'He told me,' said the new member with some hesitation, "'but really I don't think I'm justified in mentioning it, "'although he did not tell it in confidence, "'that he was the rightful heir to a property in—' "'Oh, we all know that story,' cried the club unanimously. "'I think it's the club whiskey,' said one of the oldest members. "'I say it's the worst in London.' "'Verbal complaints not received. Right to the committee,' put in Johnson. "'If Gibberts has a friend in the club, which I doubt, that friend should look after him. I believe he will commit suicide yet.' These sayings troubled Shorely as he walked back to his office. He sat down to write a note, asking Gibberts to call. As he was writing, McCabe, the business manager of the sponge, came in. "'What's the matter with the old sheet this week?' he asked. "'Matter? I don't understand you.' "'Well, I have just sent an order to the printer to run off an extra ten thousand, and here comes a demand from Smith's for the whole lot. The extra ten thousand were to go to different news agents all over the country who have sent repeat orders, so I have told the printer now to run off at least twenty-five thousand and to keep the plates on the press. I never read the sponge myself.' so I thought I would drop in and ask you what the attraction was. This rush is unnatural. "'Better read the paper and find out,' said Shorely. "'I would, if there wasn't so much of your stuff in it,' retorted McCabe. Next day McCabe reported an almost bewildering increase in orders. He had a jubilant, "'We've done it at last!' air that exasperated Chorley, who felt that he alone should have the credit. 
there had come no answer to the note he had sent gibberts so he went to the club in the hope of meeting him he found johnson whom he asked if gibberts were there he's not been here to-day said johnson but i saw him yesterday and what do you think he was doing he was in a gun shop in the strand buying cartridges for that villainous-looking seven-shooter of his i asked him what he was going to do with a revolver in london and he told me shortly that it was none of my business which struck me as so accurate a summing up of the situation that i came away without making further remark if you want any more stories by gibberts you should look after him shorely found himself rapidly verging into a state of nervousness regarding gibberts he was actually beginning to believe the novelist meditated some wild action which might involve others in a disagreeable complication shorely had no desire to be accessory either before or after the fact he hurried back to the office and there found gibberts's belated reply to his note he hastily tore it open and the reading of it completely banished what little self-control he had left dear shorely i know why you want to see me but i have so many affairs to settle that it is impossible for me to call upon you however have no fears i shall stand to my bargain without any goading from you only a few days have elapsed since the publication of the story and i did not promise the tragedy before the week was out i leave for channer chase this afternoon you shall have your pound of flesh and more yours bromley gibberts shorely was somewhat pale about the lips when he had finished this scrawl he flung on his coat and rushed into the street calling a hansom he said drive to kidner's inn as quickly as you can number fifteen once there he sprang up the steps two at a time and knocked at gibberts door the novelist allowed himself the luxury of a man and it was the man who answered shorely's imperious knock where's gibberts he's just gone sir gone where to euston station i believe sir and he took a hansom he's going into the country for a week sir and i wasn't to forward his letters so i haven't his address have you an a b c yes sir step inside sir mr gibberts was just looking up trains in it sir before he left shorely saw that it was open at c and looking down the column to channer he found that a train left in about twenty minutes without a word he dashed down the stairs again the man did not seem astonished queer fish sometimes came to see his master can you get me to euston station in twenty minutes the cabman shook his head as he said i'll do my best sir but we ought to have a good half hour the driver did his best and landed shorely on the departure platform two minutes after the train had gone 
"'When is the next train to Channer?' demanded Shorely of a porter. "'Just left, sir.' "'The next train hasn't just left, you fool. Answer my question.' Two hours and twenty minutes, sir,' replied the porter in a huff. Shorely thought of engaging a special, but realized he hadn't money enough. Perhaps he could telegraph and warn the people of Channer Chase, but he did not know to whom to telegraph. Or, again, he thought he might have Gibberts arrested on some charge or other at Channer Station. That, he concluded, was the way out. Dangerous, but feasible. By this time, however, the porter had recovered his equanimity. Porters cannot afford to cherish resentment, and this particular porter saw half a crown in the air. "'Do you wish to reach Channer before the train that's just gone, sir?' "'Yes. Can it be done?' "'It might be done, sir,' said the porter hesitatingly, as if he were on the verge of divulging a state secret which would cost him his situation. He wanted the half-crown to become visible before he committed himself further. "'Here's half a sovereign, if you tell me how it can be done, short of hiring a special.' "'Well, sir, you could take the express that leaves at the half-hour. It will carry you fifteen miles beyond Channer to Booley Junction.' Then in seventeen minutes you can get a local back to Channer, which is due three minutes before the down train reaches there, if the local is in time, he added, when the gold piece was safe stowed in his pocket. While waiting for the express, Shorely bought a copy of the sponge, and once more he read Gibberts's story on the way down. The third reading appalled him. He was amazed he had not noticed before the deadly earnestness of its tone. We are apt to underrate or overrate the work of a man with whom we are personally familiar. Now, for the first time, Shorely seemed to get the proper perspective. The reading left him in a state of nervous collapse. He tried to remember whether or not he had burned Gibberts's letter. If he had left it on his table, anything might happen. It was incriminating evidence. The local was five minutes late at the junction, and it crawled over the fifteen miles back to Channer in the most exasperating way, losing time with every mile. At Channer he found the London train had come and gone. Did a man with a long ulster get off and— for Channer Chase, sir? Yes, has he gone? Oh, yes, sir. The dog-cart from the chase was here to meet him, sir. How far is it? About five miles by road, if you mean the chase, sir. Can I get a conveyance? I don't think so, sir. They didn't know you were coming, I suppose, or they would have waited. But if you take the road down by the church, you can get there before the cart, sir. It isn't more than two miles from the church. You'll find the path a bit dirty, I'm afraid, sir, but not worse than the road. You can't miss the way, and you can send for your luggage. 
it had been raining and was still drizzling a strange path is sometimes difficult to follow even in broad daylight but a wet dark evening adds tremendously to the problem shorely was a city man and quite unused to the eccentricities of country lanes and paths he first mistook the gleaming surface of a ditch for the footpath and only found his mistake when he was up to his waist in water the rain came on heavily again and added to his troubles after wandering through muddy fields for some time he came to a cottage where he succeeded in securing a guide to channer chase the time he had lost wandering in the fields would surely thought allow the dog-cart to arrive before him and such he found to be the case the man who answered shorely's imperious summons to the door was surprised to find a wild-eyed unkempt bedraggled individual who looked like a lunatic or a tramp has mr bromley gibberts arrived yet he asked without preliminary talk yes sir answered the man is he in his room no sir he has just come down after dressing and is in the drawing-room i must see him at once gasped shorely it is a matter of life and death take me to the drawing-room the man in some bewilderment led him to the door of the drawing-room and shorely heard the sound of laughter from within thus ever our comedy and tragedy mingled the man threw the door open and shorely entered the sight he beheld at first dazzled him for the room was brilliantly lighted he saw a number of people ladies and gentlemen all in evening dress and all looking towards the door with astonishment in their eyes several of them he noticed had copies of the sponge in their hands bromley gibbert stood before the fire and was very evidently interrupted in the middle of a narration i assure you he was saying that is the only way by which a story of the highest class can be sold to a london editor he stopped as he said this and turned to look at the intruder it was a moment or two before he recognized the dapper editor and the bedraggled individual who stood abashed at the door by the gods he exclaimed waving his hands speak of the editor and he appears in the name of all that's wonderful surely how did you come here have your deeds at last found you out have they ducked you in a horse-pond i have just been telling my friends here how i sold you that story which is making the fortune of the sponge come forward and show yourself surely my boy i would like a word with you stammered surely then have it here said the novelist they all understand the circumstances come and tell them your side of the story i warn you said shorely pulling himself together and addressing the company that this man contemplates a dreadful crime and i have come here to prevent it 
Gibberts threw back his head and laughed loudly. "'Search me!' he cried. "'I am entirely unarmed, and, as everyone here knows, among my best friends.' "'Goodness!' said one old lady. "'You don't mean to say that Channer Chase is the scene of your story and where the tragedy was to take place?' "'Of course it is,' cried Gibberts gleefully. "'Didn't you recognize the local color? "'I thought I described Channer Chase down to the ground. "'And did I not tell you you were all my victims?' I always forget some important detail when telling a story. Don't go yet, he said as Shorely turned away, but tell your story. Then we will have each man's narrative, after the style of Wilkie Collins. But Shorely had had enough, and, in spite of pressing invitations to remain, he departed out into the night, cursing the eccentricities of literary men. End of section 9